Hey guys, this is Pastor Kyle here alongside Pastor Bailey. Grateful that you guys have tuned in to our podcast. We trust that what you're about to hear will be beneficial for your day, and we're grateful that you've stopped by to hear what the Lord is doing in Milledgeville. You guys can be seated. If you have a copy of God's Word, be finding your way to Judges 6. Judges 6, 33 through 35. Hear the word of the Lord. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together. And they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet. And the Abyssalites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Aphtali, and they went up to meet with them. If uh, there were a title to this sermon this morning, it would be this, Another Opportunity for Faithfulness, How the Spirit Empowers Faithfulness. You see that this may not seem like a lot to go off of how, how are we going to talk about God and his faithfulness from these verses this morning. Is this not just context? But what we remember from the faithful preaching of God's word last week of how Gideon just did a mighty act of faithfulness for God in tearing down the idols in his hometown. We'll see perhaps not a mighty act of faithfulness this morning, but a simple, faithful act. Because you see, it's not often that God requires of us mighty acts of faithfulness, but rather daily, even mundane acts of faithfulness. You see, this happens in all of our life. It's faithfulness in reading God's word, abiding in it. It's faithfulness in killing sin that so easily entraps and entangles us. It's faithfulness, a mighty act of faithfulness, of daily faithfulness in evangelizing, sharing the gospel of Christ with those in our life. We need a spirit-empowered faithfulness there. And what we just got to see We need spirit-empowered faithfulness in discipling because of the faithfulness of men like Brendan and Jack and the others that invested in our brother. We get to see how the spirit changed a life. Brothers and sisters, we need simple acts of faithfulness. Father, the fact that we can call you Father is the greatest merit of faithfulness that we could ever utter from our lips because you are faithful when we're not. You've redeemed us, not into a religion, but into a communion of life with you. That God, even now, the angels are crying out, holy, 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 So it's our prayer this morning that we would just join in with that chorus. God, as we have already worshiped you through the remembering of your sacrifice at your table, as we have remembered your faithfulness and how you buried us with your son Christ and you have raised us to walk in newness in life. God, we remember your faithfulness as we sing and we worship you through song. God, all the more would we remember your faithfulness that you gave us your word. These are not just history lessons we read this morning, but the inspired, inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient word of a good father to his broken children. So, Father, I pray more than anything that your name would be glorified, that your children would hear your voice, and be encouraged. 
that they would be comforted, that they would be challenged, and that those in this room that do not yet know this beautiful, holy God that you are, as your spirit wills, that you would open hearts. God, would you empower our faithfulness? God, would you empower my faithfulness to your word this morning? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we're, we're reading the text this morning, the first thing that we're going to see here is how the Spirit empowered Gideon. Read with me in verse 33. Now all the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. So you may be asking, why are these enemies coming? Why are these enemies even here against the people of Israel? If we remember to last week, the last thing that we saw is the faithful servant Gideon tearing down these idols. Now, if we don't know better from church history, if we don't know better from context and study, doesn't it feel like if this is the next thing that comes in the passage, that these enemies are coming uh, to the defense of Baal? Does it not feel that way? But this is the beautiful thing about Scripture an interpretive key here. You must use scripture to interpret scripture, and God has given us a beautiful answer here. These enemies are coming. Why? Because it's harvest time. It's harvest time. Uh, remember back with us in Judges 6. We'll have these verses here for you on the screen. Judges 6, 3 through 5 talks about these enemies coming when the harvest came. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste the land as they came in. Imagine with me, if you can, this faithful servant Gideon. You see this is in a valley of Jezreel, so there's a ridge that comes up before you can see this valley. Imagine Gideon walking up this ridge, and as he crests the top of the ridge, he looks down into the valley floor, and he sees numerous camels. He sees numerous armies, so great that you can't even count that they are literally covering every nook and cranny of the floor of this valley. What must be going on in his heart here? See, these are locusts, as Scripture would describe. They swept through the land. These armies would drink rivers dry. There were so many with them. Every produce on a tree, every fig tree would be left bare after they came through the land. These people were indeed a plague. But you may be asking yourself, if you were in those, this, this scene, if you were Gideon, put yourself in his shoes for one moment, what questions would you be asking as you looked out over this vast army? Maybe some questions like this. God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, didn't I just purge idol worship in this land as you commanded? God, what did I do to deserve this? Have I not been faithful to you and now these enemies are coming to attack your people? God, what is going on? Or would your question in your heart be, God, how is this another opportunity for faithfulness? You see in the circumstances and trials in our life, we more often than not see as if though God is against us and not for us. We so often see that these trials, these enemies that come among us in our flesh, are trials we must get over and we must somehow purge from our midst instead of seeing as a yet another opportunity to be faithful. As Gideon was faithful to purge the land of idolatry, Again, he will be faithful. Because you see, as, as devastating as these enemies were and are, it's important we remember something. It's important that we remember that God is sovereign even over those enemies. Who sent those enemies? God. Who allowed those enemies to even have breath? God. Who birthed them in their mother's womb and knit them together into intimate places? God. Because we see this all throughout Scripture. Judges 6, 1, at the beginning of this chapter, even tells us this was God who did this. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Now, why did God do this? Because God is good, 
How can God be good and be delivering Israel seemingly over to his enemies? Why? Because he is a master artisan. He's a sculptor with a chisel in his hand, shaping Israel into a faithful bride. As gold must be refined and impurities must be removed so the beauty on the outside is merited all the way throughout God is refining his people because of their sin, and he is good to do so because anything that God does to make these Israelites or us more and more and more like him is the best thing he can do. So friends, you're hearing today that your circumstances, your enemies that you're coming up against are God-ordained for your sanctification. Trust and rest in that. That you are valuable to God as gold is valuable, but all the more so. Why are you valuable? Not because of your inherent worth. As our brother just testified here, he knew that he had more and more desire, but only for sin. No, your value is found in your Savior, Christ, because you are covered in the most valuable thing, the most valuable resource, the most valuable thing this earth has ever seen, and it is the blood of Christ. That is what makes you valuable. That's what gives you worth. That's what gives you meaning. And indeed, if you want to be most valuable, you must be most like Christ. Yet, God is not without grace, even in his shaping Israel into a faithful bride. As difficult as this is, God is all the more faithful. Read with me in verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Notice that conjunction, but. Such a beautiful word used to juxtapose this dark shadow cast by these locust-like enemies that are rising from the floor of that valley almost so high that they are to blot out the sun and it feels like life is in nothing but proverbial darkness for these Israelites. This but is a juxtaposition between this darkness and the light of the hope that is to come in the Spirit. The important question for us to ask here in this text is how was Gideon clothed? If this is a juxtaposition between this darkness and this light, how is this clothing good news? Friends, I would encourage you to always ask questions of Scripture because in so you will dig out some of the most beautiful life-giving nuggets of encouragement that the Spirit will lead you into. So how was Gideon clothed? This clothing of Gideon was by the Spirit. Now make no mistake, this was not a reward for his faithfulness. He was not come over by the Spirit as if though he was so faithful for tearing down these idols, but rather, this is an empowering for faithfulness. If you hope to do anything in your life Spirit-empowered, you cannot bend the Spirit to your will. You cannot manipulate the Spirit into your life. He is God. You are not. And if you hope to do anything for the Lord, even every day, as we said, mundane acts of faithfulness, realize the Spirit empowers those faithfulness, not as a reward, but as a means by which you are to be faithful. We see this. This is not me. Don't let me convince you of this. Everything Bailey and I would ever say from this pulpit must be ran through the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of God. No man is authoritative over the holy word of God. Read with me in Judges 3, 9 through 10, where we see this, that the Spirit empowers yet another judge. We saw this earlier with Otnel. Judges 3, 9, the Lord raised up a deliverer from the people of Israel who saved them, Otnel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Verse 10, the spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel. He judged Israel. So on this precipice, on this mountaintop, on this crest of this ridge looking over the valley, Gideon is remembering the Lord's faithfulness. Gideon is feeling that indwelling, not of a 
some baptism of the Holy Spirit where this is out of control, where he's uttering in tongues, but this is a clothing of the Spirit, an empowering for faithfulness. You see, Gideon was once clothed in darkness, threshing wheat in a cave, but he's now clothed in the light and the splendor of the Spirit of God. And as he once threshed wheat in fear, he is now seeing these enemies gathered before him, and he will thresh them by the power of the Spirit, and he will throw them into the air, the enemies of the most holy God, and the wind will carry them away like the chaff that they are. This is what we're seeing of the Spirit-empowered, faithful servant. And as Gideon is surveying this valley, fresh off this zealous reforming of worship, Gideon is Gideon is presented with yet another opportunity for faithfulness. Continue reading with me in our main text. And he sounded the trumpet. Now what is significant about this trumpet? Notice the article in front of trumpet. It doesn't say a trumpet. It says the trumpet. Now, what is significant about this? You see that Gideon doesn't just pick up a trumpet, but the trumpet, the trumpet. He takes a deep breath. He breathes in, and he lets out this majestic roar of this trumpet that would have been reverberating through the valley floor and over the hills for all of Israel to hear. What is so significant about this trumpet? You see, the man who once was a coward in a cave is now, as the angel of the Lord said, he would be, he is now a mighty man of valor. And that trumpet blast that reverberates to the hilltops would have been like lightning coursing in the veins of the Israelites for courage, as equally as it would have been a deep resounding thud in the hearts of the enemies, billowing up fear of those that are against the Most High. So what is this trumpet that could cause such a dichotomy, a feeling of fear as boldness. What is this trumpet? This trumpet is the shopar. The shopar, it's a ram's horn. What is this ram's horn used for? It's three primary purposes. Take note of these. We will come back to these to see such a beautiful truth later. The first use was to announce the Day of Atonement. To announce the Day of Atonement this is the day that all of Israel would gather, the once a, one, one day of the calendar year, and they would bring a perfect, spotless lamb to the altar to be sacrificed for the sins of the people to be atoned for. That was one use of the shopar. Second was the use of the coronation of kings. The king would come in, King David would sit on his throne. You get to see here in 1 Kings 1, 34 through 35, you get to see this trumpet blown. But in our case this morning, we get to see this is a call to war. Ehud, if you were to make note of that in Judges 3.27, also blows the trumpet. This is what we're seeing here in the text this morning, that Gideon, a mighty man of God, is blowing this trumpet as a call to war against these enemies. Now, if you're putting yourself in this story, if you can hear that billowing of that trumpet, who do you think was the first people to hear this trumpet blast? Where, where are we at in this story? Remember last week, our faithful brother taught us that it was underneath the oak tree at o Ophar, the Abyssalites. Keep reading with me here in our main text. And the Abyssalites were called out to follow him. Now, remember, these are the very people that Gideon just tore down their idols. These are the very people that if you were to read in Judges 6, 31 through 31, they say this, bring out your son that he may die. He shall be put to death by morning. These are the very people that said the sun should not go down till we kill Gideon. Now, how do you think this trumpet blast fell on these people? It says that they came out to follow him. These men who were once opposed to all that Gideon was and did stood now to pledge themselves to this man, this mighty man of valor. 
They saw their opportunity of faithfulness to this man. And they took it. Now, who else heard this trumpet blast? It wasn't just the Abyssalites, but read with me in verse 35. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. We get to see the first and foremost is Gideon's family. Do we not remember when he said, I am the least in my family, and my tribe is the least in Manasseh? He is blasting this trumpet in his family is following him. Now remember, his father, Joash, was the one that basically threw him to the proverbial wolves of the Abyssalites last week and said, uh, if, if he has really done this, let, let Baal contend with him. Even so much to say, to change his name to Jerubabel, meaning Baal will contend with him. But two, you see that Manasseh follows Gideon's faithfulness. And not just his family, but notice all of these other tribes. Anyone who heard that trumpet blast, were faithful to follow. Because you see, not every knee in Israel was bowing to Baal at this time. You see this truth all throughout Scripture, that there is always a faithful remnant serving the Lord God. Now you be at, might be asking yourself in this point, it's great, see this opportunity for faithfulness for Gideon. But what is the hope that all of us in this room need? You don't need a history lesson on the tribes of Israel. You need Christ. Christ is the only thing that opens the dead heart. So as you're reading scripture, even though we may be in the Old Testament, let me encourage you, brother and sister in Christ, as you read scripture, not only a question to ask of that text of just good questions, what does this verb mean? What does this conjugation mean? What does this, what does this all mean? A better question, more often than not, in your own personal study of God's word to ask is, where is Christ in this text? Where is Christ in this text? Because you see, our judges, as we're reading this series, or a foreshadowing of Christ. You know what they are? Their judges are broken leaders raised up to save a helplessly adulterous people. Is that not us in this room? That we needed a Savior, Christ, to be raised up and proverbially broken as his hands were pierced and his blood was poured out to save us, his adulterous children who turn to every whim and fancy of our heart and are so easily satisfied with anything but Christ alone. This is what we see in this text this morning. We see a two-part allusion to our Savior Christ in this text this morning. Primary in verse 34. The first thing we see in verse 34, read along with me there, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. How do we see Christ here? We don't have to look further than other places in Scripture. We see as Gideon was clothed by the Spirit, Christ was clothed by the Spirit in his baptism as the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Luke 3, 22, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. We see this clothing of Christ. But why do we talk about this clothing? What are we talking about? The Spirit-empowered faithfulness. Why was Christ clothed with the Spirit? He is God. He did not need the Spirit to be God or to be in communion with God. Why? Because as the Spirit clothed Gideon, empowering him for faithful service, the Spirit empowered Christ's ministry. Luke 4, 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. This is him coming back from the wilderness, about to enter into his ministry. And scripture says the Spirit empowered that ministry. So that's the first illusion we see of, of Gideon being clothed in the Spirit as Christ was clothed in the Spirit. The second thing, if you're taking notes here, the tail end of verse 34, and he sounded the trumpet. Now remember the shopar's use. The first one was the Day of Atonement. This trumpet was blasted as 
thousands of Israelites who were gathered into Jerusalem to, to bring a perfect, spotless lamb to atone for their sins. And as Gideon let out this magnificent trumpet blast, can you not hear on that day of atonement when Christ came into Jerusalem on the day of atonement and the trumpet blast that he was the perfect, spotless lamb of God that was given for the atonement of the sins of his people. Christ indeed is the better Gideon. This is our Savior Christ that we're seeing here, foreshadowed. But what did Christ see his crucifixion as? Did anyone take his life from him? No. He said, I lay down my life for the flock. In his high priestly prayer, right before he's crucified, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son, so that the way the Son may glorify the Father. What did he see his crucifixion as? Did he crest a ridge of a mountain and see enemies and say, oh, woe is me? No, he crested the ridge of that mountain and looked into the valley and saw the enemy of sin and death plaguing his children. And what did he do? He saw it as another opportunity for faithfulness as he willingly and joyfully laid down his life for you and your sin that held him there. It is a beautiful place where justice and mercy meet, that the justice of God demanded payment. Your sin demanded payment, and your God was gracious to give you what you did not deserve. If you're looking for more grace in your life, look no further than the cross. It has been given in abundance. What you need from your elders, what you need from Bailey and I, is truth in the grace of the cross. That in that shadow, we see our sin. In Isaiah 1, there's a beautiful picture of a promise that although our sins are scarlet, they will be made white as snow. And that promise isn't just for one day when we're fully glorified. This promise is realized even now. That scarlet that verbiage in Hebrew was talking about blood-stained hands. Have you ever stained your hands? Maybe it's ink. It's hard to get off. Maybe it's grapes. Maybe it's crushing of the wine. You know that stain you can't get off. Friends, that is the picture of the gospel. There is a stain upon your soul that you cannot remove no matter how much penance you do, no matter how much prayer you do, no matter how much good works you do, no matter how much you read your Bible, that this promise is of a Messiah, Jesus Christ, who was delivered over to atone for your sins. When you find yourself hopeless in despair over your sin, run to the cross and see that grace is even deeper for his children. But don't run there hastily, knowing full well as soon as you receive that grace, you're going to turn back to your flesh. Don't despise such a great sacrifice, an atoning work, while it may cover you for eternity. Friends, your conscience will never be covered if you live a life of duality. Rest. Abide. Some of you are doing this so well. Continue. Keep going. But some of you need to hear that this morning. But you see, there's all the more grace to be found as we dive into this word of God. This illusion of Christ is not just for the Day of Atonement, but remember the, the other uses of the Shopar is for coronation and war. When we read about the second coming of Christ in 1 Thessalonians 4, we read this, the Lord himself will descend with the sound of the trumpet of God, the same very trumpet. And what we see in the second coming as we read in Revelation 19, there will be a short-lived war because it's short-lived because as God descends with the voice of the trumpet, his very words will slay his enemies. This is not a war. He's not cresting the mountaintop and saying, oh, woe is me, there's enemies. No, every enemy is under his footstool now. 
God reigns now. We're not waiting for that trumpet to sound so that way the king will come. The king has come. This is why we have hope. This is why you can overcome because you have a conquering king that lives and courses within you and the spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead dwells in your bones today. You have the spirit to empower you towards faithfulness. I don't care how long you've been a slave to that sin. Your savior is all the more sufficient. I don't care how many days of unfaithfulness you could write in your journal and read back through of seeing this proverbial up and down of your, your, your just life just carried, tossed. And I'm just thinking of so many conversations I've had with you guys. This trumpet blast, this trumpet blast is now something we're waiting for in the future. As Christ stretched out his hands and looked to the Father and said, it is finished. It may not be this glorious coronation, but in that moment, Christ declared himself king over every enemy you will have, primarily your sin and flesh that remains. So if it's no wonder that the Spirit empowered Gideon for a mighty act of faithfulness. And if it's no wonder that the Spirit clothed Christ for yet another opportunity of faithfulness in his ministry, is it any wonder that he clothes us, empowers us for faithfulness today? As I'm looking at this text this week, I'm seeing a bunch of different people in the text. There's these enemy tribes, there's the Abyssalites, Manasseh, you're seeing other faithful tribes. And just praying, asking God, what do we need to hear as your church this morning about how your spirit empowers us? And as in this series, we've entitled Judges, A Cycle of Sin and Salvation. Many of us in this room are in that same cycle of sin, confession, receiving of grace, salvation is already ours. So uh, if you're taking notes, I think we see primarily there's two empowerments to fight sin is the first thing that we're going to see. Two empowerments to fight sin. We see this fighting of the sin is akin to Gideon as he was fighting these enemies. We don't have proverbial enemies that are wanting to come through and thrust us through with a sword as some of our other brothers and sisters in Christ face, your primary enemy is your flesh. Your primary enemy you're called to kill. But let us remember back to our text this morning. Why did these enemies come? These enemies came to rob of a harvest. So like the army came to rob the Israelites of its harvest, our flesh seeks to rob us of our spiritual harvest in Christ. Now, what is the spiritual harvest in Christ? It's feasting on the fruits of the Spirit. Let me connect that dot for you. Feasting on the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. We read this in Galatians. Those are not things that we can have, but the things that were given to us by the Spirit. So when you sit at the proverbial banquet feast of the Lord, what you're doing is feasting on the Lord. You're feasting on those fruits that he is a, he's bringing about, this harvest in your life. So what is your flesh trying to do? It's trying to rob you of those. If you're in sin now, if you have a guilty conscience of sin now, what are you missing? The fruit of the Spirit in a lot of regards. You don't have any peace. You oftentimes don't have patience or kindness or gentleness or love. So as you see already on the screen, we get to see there's three primary ways that the Spirit beckons us to this table to feast all the more so, not on the things of the flesh, the dead, rotting, decaying enemies that are defeated on the valley floor, but we feast on the Lord. He does this by giving us a hunger for our daily bread. It's Christ and his word. 
He does this by making us thirst for righteousness. He does this by sapping our spiritual strength until we abide. I'll say that again. If you have no spiritual strength, yes, it could be that you're not abiding, but also it's a gracious hand of the Lord that is heavy upon you until you confess and return and rest again. So let's tackle this first empowerment. The first empowerment the Spirit brings is the ability to abide in the Word. The ability to abide in the Word. So there's a, there's a truth here that many of you guys uh, may have started to catch on in your Christian walk. The more you abide in Scripture, the more the Spirit empowers you to faithfully abide. The more you abide, not of your own strength, but the more that you're faithful to abide, the Spirit empowers all the more abiding. You, you see, you don't read Scripture to empower you. You read Scripture to remind you that the Spirit empowers you. You see, you read to deepen your awareness of your dependence on God. You don't read scripture just solely as a means, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my Jesus fixed for today, and I'm going to be good, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to go, and I'm, I'm going to be a better husband, I'm going to be a better friend, I'm going to be a better student. I'm empowered. No, you read to see that you need to abide and depend. You know, this truth is why there's really probably three different types of group of people in this room this morning. There's those of us that are feasting on Scripture. You faithfully seek to abide in the Word because you know it's your lifeline. You know it's like breathing in. Keep going. You know the fruit that the Spirit is bearing in your life. Every morning you wake up is yet another opportunity for continued faithfulness. Now there's some of us in this room that are kind of intermittent and abiding, right? Like you could uh, read two, three times a week and then go four or five days without reading. You essentially are intermittent fasting from the word. You see, perhaps why that's happening to you is because your abiding is tied to your circumstances. When things are going well, I, I, don't, I don't need God, I've got this, I'm good. That's only for my empowerment. But other of you in this room, you're intermittent because when the depths of life hit, you abide. But when there's a, even an inkling of a balm for your soul, you're saying, I'm good. Because you abide in Christ for everything that he's done for you, for who he is. But perhaps there's another group of us in this room. Uh, you abide in God's word when you're successfully fighting sin. Let me say that again. When you and that pet sin are not on speaking terms, you and God are like this. But the second that you're giving way to it, you hide as Adam and Eve hid in the garden. And you forget that your Savior, God, was the one with the first sacrifice that clothed the nakedness of Adam and Eve. You see God only as a judge, not as your faithful father. Return and rest and abide in your Savior, not dependent on your circumstances, because they are set firm in him. And now there's another group in this room that are not abiding at all whether it's you're unaware of the need or you're just apathetic. I don't say this to hurt, but to be honest. At best, you are far more concerned with feasting on the things of the flesh. At best. At worst, you do not have the Spirit of God and you are not a child of God. If you are feasting more on the flesh, return to your Savior, for his burden is easy and his yoke is light. If you feel like you're parched and weary, it's because 
you're dying apart from your Savior. But if you are completely not abiding, don't assume this morning that because you are here or call yourself a Christian or own a Bible that you are in Christ. The Spirit of God will testify with your spirit who is a son of God. If you have not rested in this good news of Christ alone, for his glory alone, by faith in him alone, repent of those sins you've been feasting on and believe the good news of the gospel. Because you see, even as all of us in this room fall short and we are unfaithful, our Savior is faithful. He does not cast us off and turn a blind eye to his children. He's never further than an arm's length away. What he casts away is your sin. He cast it into the seas of forgetfulness. They are no more. So what do you do in this abiding if you're not? What do you do if in this abiding if it's intermittent? What do you do if this abiding is something you do every day? You wake up tomorrow morning. Shoot, what start today? And look at it as yet another opportunity for faithfulness. The Spirit will empower you to abide if you're not. Trust that. But if you're not in Christ, you do not have that Spirit. Pray and ask for. So if that's the first thing that we see, if you're taking notes there, the first empowerment is to abide in the Word. The second thing that we see is to fight sin. It's mortification. It's a big word that means to put to death sin. Because if you remember back to why we gave that explanation of why God sovereignly allowed these enemies to come, what was our answer? It's because he was good. It's because he was refining his bride as he was refining gold. So you in your life, the sin that you are struggling with right now, that you hate, God is not the author of that. Hear me out this morning. But he's absolutely allowed it in your life as a means to shape you into the image and likeness of Christ. If, if life is tough, welcome to being a Christian. If they persecuted your Savior, will they not persecute you? Do you forget the faithful admonishment of your Father to take up your cross and follow him daily? Life is not about escaping from discomfort, but asking in discomfort, God, how is this being used to shape me? God, how is this yet another opportunity to abide? God, how is this another opportunity for faithfulness? God, will you empower me? I'm weak and I'm weary. I don't feel like I can wake up the next morning. God, I feel like this afternoon I'm just going to fall down at your feet and you're going to have to breathe life into me and just enough for me to get up and go another day and then I fall down again and you're going to have to revive me again. Brother and sister, that is not a cycle of sin but a cycle of dependence. That is the Christian life. God's grace is enough for today. God's grace is enough for today to empower obedience for today, faithfulness for today. Just as the manna of old and the Israelites did not carry over because it was enough for that day. God gives you enough for that day, and he will give you more than you can handle. Why? <coughs> to cause you to depend on him. Why would you want to do anything other than? You see, this truth is that this mortification of putting to death sin is, uh, is twofold. We see this in Romans 8.13. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, if by the Spirit you, God's sovereignty, man-given responsibility as moral agents. We don't save ourselves. God alone does that. But in your process of becoming more like Christ, just because there is grace isn't a license to continue sinning. God has given you every means by which to kill your sin. Let's be honest in the room this morning. How many of us are using them? When was the last time you confessed true, deep, unrepentant sin? You see, the more you repent and the darkness you pull out of your heart, 
how much you pull out shows how much you believe grace has been given to you. You hold back because you believe somewhere in the recesses of your heart there's no way God could forgive me for that. But God has given you every means of grace in this fellowship of believers sitting right beside you who struggle just as much as you do. He's given you his word to show you truth. He's given you worship as a way to pour out your soul to a holy and perfect God. He's given you the two sacraments of baptism. If that didn't encourage you this morning, I don't know what will. He's given you the Lord's table. And the Lord's table, while we don't have his physical presence, what we absolutely have because he is divine. We have his presence here with us. You have the presence of God, not only in the Lord's table, but the spirit that's shut up in your bones. You lack nothing in your fight against sin save for willpower. Why do you lack willpower? Because fighting sin is empowered by the spirit. Ask for more. Plead for more. Weep and wail over unrepentant sin, and the Spirit will pour out the grace to fight it and kill it. But as we saw, there are two means of empowerments to fight sin. Those are just the enemy tribes. What we see are three relational empowerments. Three relational empowerments and these other people that are here in the text this morning. You see, just as the Spirit empowered Gideon to lead those around him faithfully, the Spirit empowers us to lead those in relationships around us faithfully. So if you're taking notes, the first thing that we'll see here is uh, the first relationship is in evangelism. We've got uh, Bizarites in parentheses there. Remember, these are the people that wanted nothing to do with Gideon. They wanted to cast him away. But as the Spirit clothed him and as he led faithfully, what did they do? They followed. So my encouragement to you in this is that there may be those in your life that you're faithfully sharing the gospel with that seem indifferent to it, that seem like you're, you're talking to a brick wall. But the encouragement to you is do not grow weary because where you are sowing seeds of the true gospel, as the Lord sees fit, there will be a harvest. As the Lord saw fit for the Bizarites to follow here, he may deem fit that those that you are praying for ardently will come. Be encouraged. Do not grow weary in that. Because you see that your job is faithfulness, brother or sister. We can't say that word enough this morning. Why is your job faithfulness? You cannot save. Only God can save. And as we said, this is a spirit-empowered faithfulness and evangelism. Look at God's word with me in Matthew 10, 20, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father that speaks in you. The spirit of your father, the role of the spirit we see is in John 14, 26. He will bring to your remembrance all that I have taught you. Street evangelism is not as scary as it sounds. I don't say this out of anything besides this is the first time I've ever done it in my life these past couple of months. And Jordan Wood and I, are scared like little boys about to ask a girl, check yes or no, do you like me? But God is faithful. The Spirit empowers. He brings those verses to mind that you've been abiding in. You will speak truth and you will speak boldly because you carry the name of Christ, not because of how articulate you are, not because of how studied you are, but if your heart is abiding and dependent on Christ and you preach him and him crucified, what else do you need? That's what Paul said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. I came and knew no wisdom among you save for Christ and Christ crucified. We'll have evangelism training here today and once a month for the next couple months. But you guys may be utterly disappointed when I come in and just tell you to have a conversation. When I come in and say, hey, what scripture do you have here that you could apply? You see, there's not anything in this that's really the self-help mantra, but it's dependence on Christ and the Spirit. Are there resources? Yes. Are there strategies? Yes. But give me a man or a woman who is dependent on the Spirit 
any day of the week. So if that's the first thing we saw as an evangelism, the spirit empowerment in our relationships, the second thing that we learned from the tribe of Manasseh is in family discipleship. The Spirit's going to empower you in your discipleship of your family as they are already a part of the covenant family or you're raising them to be one. So husbands, as you wash your bride in the word, the Spirit will lead you in how to apply that text to her that day. So we've got two husbands in the room, three, three husbands in the room, maybe some more listening on podcasts, but hear me. If you've never done family worship or don't know how or haven't done it in a while, why not today? Today is yet another day for an opportunity of faithfulness. Because I can tell you as I lead my wife in family worship, half the time I'm saying, God, will you help me? I'm just going to read this text and we're going to talk about what you're doing. And God is faithful. What about parents? Parents, even if you can only get one question across in family worship before the kids go crazy and you've got, you know, Nerf guns flying across the room or someone's fighting because someone else took their something else or uh, they want to tell you a story. If you can only get, sometimes kids' stories are great. Sometimes you're like, okay, uh uh-huh, yeah, but besides the point. Even if you can only get one across, the Spirit will faithfully apply because you are seeking to be faithful to that call in Deuteronomy 6.4 to raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Start with one question a day. You get one question a day that will build a firm foundation for the future. Yet another opportunity for faithfulness tomorrow morning. College students in this room, got some of your attention now. As you talk to your parent, your sibling, your aunt, your uncle, as they come to you because they know that you're a Christian and it means something to you. Don't be afraid to speak the truth in love. Apply the gospel faithfully because you're discipling that family member whether you realize it or not. doesn't mean they have to be younger than you to disciple. But if you have a clear understanding of the picture of Christ and Christ crucified in every conversation, you are making a disciple of Christ or a disciple of the world. Doesn't mean you don't have fun, doesn't mean you don't talk, but keep going. It may feel like sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back, and then they get something that you're talking about, or they'll read an article you'll send, or they'll listen to a song you sent, and then they send you something that's off the wall. And you say, no, keep going. The Spirit empowers you in that, even when it feels like you're sowing and sowing and sowing into a field that's been sown with salt. The Spirit promises if they are part of the family of God that he will continue to shape them. And what a beautiful thing is that you have a role to play in that. The final relational empowerment that we see here is from these other tribes. Naphtali, Asher, Zebulun. You see what these are? The discipleship means for other people. So now we're talking about family at this point. But what we're talking about is what Paul encourages Timothy to entrust to faithful men. As Bailey faithfully and lovingly repented this morning in leading us in that, in the Lord's Supper, I must repent before you all in this area of discipleship. Um, In setting the pace and the example, I have made the assumption for far too long that discipleship happens in every bit of life. It happens in the Sunday gathering. It happens in missional community, in DNA, in fam. But I have not been faithfully asking you the question, the great commission of who are you discipling? And because of that, I would venture to say many of you in this room would not be able to give an answer that you're proud of. And that starts with me, and I must repent and ask for your forgiveness in that. Because you see, faithful men and women only follow faithful men and women. If you're seeking to disciple someone, your first prerequisite is faithfulness. It's faithfulness. Because remember this, 
Jesus says this. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me alone. So as you disciple, if you're giving anyone else anything besides the faithful gospel, you're not giving them what they need. No amount of self-help, no amount of uh, life help of how to do bills or how to maintain relationships. Now, the gospel impacts all of it. But if you're not teaching them what it means to be a Christ follower, of what Christ did for them, it's where you begin. It's where you go every day. And it's the means by which you disciple is with this truth of the gospel. Now, to some of us in this room, discipleship hasn't been completely devoid. Some of us have discipled well. Some of us in this room have been discipled. We got to see a beautiful testimony of it this morning. But in discipleship, let me encourage you that people are still fallible. So if you've been discipled by someone and they have let you down, forgive them. They are only but a shadow of the goodness of Christ. And if you are discipling someone and they have let you down, brother, sister, I encourage you, for your own soul's sake, forgive. Continue to press forward. Although that hurt is real, they are but another sinful human being. Forgive them for your own benefit, but mostly for the glory of God, for unity in the body. But if some of you guys are sitting here saying, I've never been discipled, nor have I discipled someone, what do you think my call to you this morning is going to be? Yet another opportunity for faithfulness. Don't leave this gathering without asking someone to disciple you or to be discipled. Because you see, this faithfulness, this empowerment by the Spirit, went out like a trumpet blast for Gideon. It was the trumpet blast of Christ. But friend, if you hear his voice like a trumpet blast from the mountaintop reverberating into your soul, perhaps for the first time, do not be alarmed as those enemies. Do not harden your heart. Repent of your sins and believe in the gospel. Believe that the Spirit alone can take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You cannot soften your heart, but you absolutely can harden your heart as you turn to your flesh all the more. If hearing that the gospel call is of Christ as the atoning lamb that died for your sins, do not go another day, but believe that you are clothed in his righteousness if you have been given the spirit to believe. But don't leave here today. Don't leave here today without letting us know so we can celebrate as we are able to celebrate. Bailey and I would love to celebrate with you. But as we go out, as we leave, child of God, as you awake every morning this week, may you see abiding in God's word as yet another opportunity for faithfulness. Conqueror in Christ, as your flesh arises this week, may you see it as yet another opportunity of faithfulness to faithfulness to slay it by the spirit ambassador of the gospel as you intentionally look for opportunities to share the gospel realize that the spirit will empower those conversations it's another day for faithfulness co-laborer with christ as you disciple this week remember it's yet another opportunity for faithfulness church remember we're not often called to mighty acts of faithfulness but daily mundane acts of faithfulness. Father, thank you. Thank you that this is not dependent upon us, but upon your spirit. That faithfulness is only first and foremost found in you. as your servant Gideon faithfully served, would you find us faithful? Would we abide 
and your word? Would we kill our sin? Would we disciple well? Would we share your gospel? Father, you're so good. You're the atoning lamb, the better judge, a faithful king, and a loving father. Would we rest in those truths this week as we wake up every day sustained by your spirit, carried by your spirit, empowered by your spirit as you shape us and mold us to a beautiful, beautiful picture of your son. It's in your name we pray. Amen.